Can we get an amen on that? I tell you, uh, I, I have to ask first, um, who in this room still has power out? Anyone? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anybody back here? Oh, yeah. Uh, I tell you, today you have made the effort to be at the feet of Jesus. God bless you uh, as you recover from whatever it is that's happening with your electrical system. We went through that. We were going through that last week when uh, I was uh, in the midst of sermon preparation, which made that interesting, and uh, stood before you with, uh, well, to a large degree, the best that God could bring out in the, in the uh, circumstances. But today, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to be here at St. Luke's for so many reasons. It's great to be here at St. Luke's on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, if that applies to you. And uh, I know that uh, as we think of our children and as we think of our fathers, the legacies that are part of being fathers, uh, it, you know, it's a wonderful thing. And it's a great place to share that here in, at St. Luke's today. You know, my, my own dad largely grew up here in Jackson, uh, living in a home with his grandparents on West Street, just south of Millsaps. And um, his relationships to his grandparents, I would have to say, truly fostered a uh, tender spot in his heart for older people something that he lived out for uh, most of his professional life, about two-thirds of it as the director of Methodist Senior Services from its founding until his retirement in 1994. He spent his last 25 years in residence on the Traceway campus in Tupelo before dementia began to set in. And it was at that point that I began to watch my dad, who had always told me to remember who I was, I began to watch him forget who he was. It, it became apparent one day as, uh, we, uh, as I was staying there at his cottage with, he, with him and his wife, uh, second wife, Sue, and uh, he had spent some time getting dressed and, and uh, as he came out of uh, the place, uh, bedroom where his closet, his closet was, and he sat down in the den area, propped his feet up on the, on the uh, ottoman there in front of his chair. I looked at his feet and I could tell there was something strange and, and then I deciphered that on one foot he had a sock and then with, uh, a shoe, which was one of those Clark Wallaby sort of shoes, you know, the kind of suede, uh, suede mid-height boot. But then on the other foot, it took me a little bit longer, but on the other foot, he had a tennis shoe with the sock on top of the tennis shoe pulled all the way up. And I said, Dad, why did you put your shoes on that way? He said, I don't know, but it sure was hard to do. <laughs> there were so many things that I learned from my dad. 
I spent his closing days giving thanks for his many gifts to me. And I see many of those gifts reflected in my own children and hope to in my own grandchildren. But that's one of the reasons I'm glad to be here. Jackson is a part of the blood of the what was the Hardin family, now the Carroll families. But also uh, the family connection that we have here at St. Luke through my son Ben having been on staff, my brother Bill having been on the church staff at one time, having been involved with St. Luke's back in the late 70s in some cooperative singles ministries. We had a springle and then we had a swingle and then we had a Kris Kringle, you know, for singles. But then also um, to see Catherine and Giles and Ben as they share in congregational life together with you, it just makes this a special place for me. It's good to be here. St. Luke's has a beautiful structure. Some folks think it's just what a church ought to look like. Maybe you do too. St. Luke's is committed to community. It has an important role in the Fondren area and in its relationship to the medical center close by and the city of Jackson as a whole. This church is blessed with buildings and human assets and financial resources that enable it to do just about anything that it desires to do. It's particularly supportive of children and young families. It's a teaching church where the older teach the younger about the life of faith and what church life together should look like. And believe it or not, St. Luke's is not shouldered with many of the struggles that many other churches face. St. Luke's has a lot to be thankful for and proud of. It's good to be a good church. I wonder if that is similar to what Simon the Pharisee was thinking as he gazed at the disreputable woman in front of him. Something like, it's good to be a righteous man. I'm glad I'm not like her. William Barclay says about this passage, this is one of the stories which is so vivid that it makes one believe that Luke might have been an artist. But he was a physician. But then there is the woman. There's Jesus reclining at the table, and she comes and washes his feet with her tears, anointing his feet from a flask, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet, very different from the treatment that he received from his host. Simon, along with most of the Pharisees, was just trying to be right enough and did not come to Jesus out of his need, but the woman is entirely different. We presume that we know the woman's sin, but Simon's sin may be the greater of the two, being unconscious of his need for the forgiveness that Jesus could offer. Maybe you saw the old television commercial. There's this man standing in front of his house and he says, like my beautiful house? My family loves it. Like my car, 
It's brand new. I even have membership in the most exclusive golf club in town. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Won't somebody help me? Most of us say things like, if I could only make enough money, if I could only invest well enough, if I could only drive fast enough, if I could only make myself pretty enough or handsome enough, etc., etc. If we can do those kinds of things, then it just might be enough so that our fallenness doesn't seem so bad. And like Simon, we can push it away, maybe even deny it. But fallenness puts us all in the same boat. And unfortunately, the boat is sinking. And no amount of bailing will keep it afloat. Friends, it is only as we admit our need, confess our need, that God can reach truly into the depths of our souls. You see, God can only get to the depth of our pain that we're willing to acknowledge. God can only get to the depth of our sin that we are willing to confess. God can only get to the depth of our falling, fallenness that we're willing to admit. The one thing that shuts a person off from God is feeling self-sufficient. And the strange thing is that the better a person is, the more he or she feels their sin. Paul could speak of sinners of whom I am chief, he said. Francis of Assisi could say, there is nowhere a more wretched and a more miserable sinner than I. As I was close to finishing seminary, I was in one of those assessment things, you know, where you're confronted with this panel of judges, <laughs> uh, faculty and supervisors from ministry settings and things like that. They concluded their report with words that hit me deeply in my heart. Words that I needed to hear as I prepared to move from seminary into the pulpit and into the local congregation. They said to me, David will need to stay in touch with his pain, with his fallenness, lest the church become shouldered with another of its young, bright successes. but I don't want to be a success. I want to be at the feet of Jesus. There's an old story of a wayward young man whose father had just had enough. And finally he told his, his son, you know, you're old enough that you ought to be living a better life. You ought to have better values. You ought to be doing different things. 
you see that fence post over there? Every time you do something that dishonors somebody else or hurts someone else or troubles your mother and I, I'm going to drive a nail in the post. And so he started. And over the course of the next couple of years, it seemed that the post would continue and continue and continue so that at the end of those two years, it was covered with nails. And finally, it just began to work its way into the young man's heart. And he wanted to do better with his life. He wanted to live a better life. He wanted to believe better things. He wanted to do better things. He told his father and his father said, when you do those things to right the wrongs that you have done, each time you do that, I'll pull a nail out. And he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it over the next year. And at the end of that year, the fence post was clean. But then he turned to his father looking at that post and he said, Dad, I'm so grateful. But the scars left by the nails are almost more than I can bear. As I worked in youth ministry, I would come across some amazing people. And there was a pair of young men that I got to know named Michael Bridges and George Baum. Michael and George were a duo that uh, traveled all around the country. They started their work as musicians riding bicycles, and they made a circumference of the country on their bicycles, playing in churches, singing, giving their witness the best way that they knew how. Now, in doing so, I have to say, they, they used the great hymn texts of the church, like the church is one foundation. But the way they presented it was more like music by Alice Cooper, played by a mariachi band. They came here to Jackson and uh, more than once as I served at Galloway. And uh, one time, they, they often came from Mission Fest, which some of you are familiar with. And one day, they went with me to Gateway Rescue Mission to, to share some music and a little bit of their story. And uh, they started playing their music. And you know, I mean, the, the homeless folks were there. They were eating their meals. And, and this one lady, I noticed she was particularly hovering over her, her meal, which is not unusual for those who are really, really hungry. But she was eating away, and they got started with their music, and she looked up like, what in the world is this? 
People would often ask George and Michael, well, which one of you is, well, the name of their group, their duo, was Lost and Found. And they would often be asked, well, which one of you is lost and which one of you is found? And they said, we are all kind of lost. We're all kind of found. And we go back and forth between that a little bit every day. We pray that we're moving more toward foundness, even in the midst of our lostness. And that's us. We are both all at the same time. But if we choose to find ourselves honest enough, we'll find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And like this woman who was forgiven much, we will find ourselves most grateful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.